morning. Why don't we turn together to the book of Romans? An exciting opportunity uh, to be able to go through uh, this book and enjoy uh, God's Word together. And so I'm thankful that we get to look at it, and it is in the New Testament, book of Romans uh, chapter 1. Next Sunday uh, will be Mother's Day, make sure you note that, Um, and we are going to do um, uh, probably our last, but we're not going to speak anything into definitiveness, but we're probably going to do our last outdoor service uh, next Sunday at 1030 in the morning for Mother's Day, okay? So we're going to do an outdoor gathering, uh, 1030, uh, weather permitting, obviously, um, in order that we might have um, an opportunity to gather one more time as an entire body before the weather gets so hot. It's already hot enough for those of you who have endured uh, out there, but it is also, we get a lot more people uh, that are willing to worship outside still, and it is great to be able to have as many as possible uh, joining us together. So we'll worship together outside next Sunday, um, May uh, the 9th, and yet I also am thankful um, for just what I just was able to witness, and that was the ability to walk down our kids' Treasuring Christ Hall and see life. It was amazing. And so I am so thankful to God for Meredith Kushner and her labors to help us get to where we are, and all of the volunteers that have allowed us to get to a, a serving once a month rotation for ages three and under. And so Uh, We will only be able to have KTC for the first service here uh, when we do our two services at 9 and 11, but just thankful to God to go back there and see those little kids running around and and the workers serving them so well. So just wanted to praise God publicly um, for what he is doing and the ability uh, to gather. So now, why don't you come with me? Come with me on an opportunity to take a trip. Let's say you take a trip to a part of the city that you've never seen before. I experience this sometimes when I ride my bike on the Greenway, and I think, how many people in Raleigh have never seen this part of Raleigh? Because you've traveled back in the, these miles back into the woods along the Noose River, and it's just beautiful and breathtaking. Come with me on that kind of trip. A place that you haven't seen before. Or maybe we visit a city that you've never been to, but you've really wanted to. Or there's this sense of you go to a country that you've never been to. A part of the world that you've just longed to go to and we go. What happens? When you're there, everything is new. Everything is this anticipation of what's around the corner. And it's almost like information overload. If you've ever been to New York City for the first time, that is information overload. You're sitting there in Times Square and, you know, if you wonder why ADD is a thing, it is because many times we are bombarded with information. And it's just like, okay, but it's so new and so exciting and so interesting. But the same thing happens in the country, if you ask me, because you can go and you can turn these corners and you have no idea what's around this bend or what's down in this valley or what's up on this mountain. It's beautiful. Or you go to the ocean that you've never seen before and you stand out there and look and it's breathtaking. It seems to have no end. No one stands at the edge of the ocean and says, look at how amazing I am. It's, they stand and they just can't speak. It's new. There's anticipation. There's discovery. And friends, this is what we get to do when we open God's word. It's the type of journey that we enter into when we stop and we look into the book known as the Bible. And specifically, it's what we get to do when we look at the book of Romans. This time right now is an invitation. And honestly, it's an invitation for us every single morning. It's an invitation into the precious word of God. To gaze at the glory of God. To sit in the presence of the majesty of God. To see what he has done and more importantly who he is. I pray that God would give you a refreshing sense of that's what it is to be in his word day by day. Charles Spurgeon says this. 
Always expect the unexpected when dealing with God. Look to see in God and from God what you have never seen before. Expect it. This is the new vistas and the new city and the new country and the new part of our city that you've never seen. It is opening God's word and anticipating that you will see not always new information, but you will see God in a new way. The anticipation that this God always does what is unexpected. And so, it is here where we discover the new contours of the landscape of God's love. We explore new depths of his person and work. And we rest in the glory of God for his people. We get our minds blown at how unsearchable and unfathomable is his heart and mind and counsel. We look deeply at God and we anticipate his glory. Friends, today I would love for this to be a new beginning. A new beginning in your journey with the Lord. That is, God's word is not an assignment to be dreaded, but a vista to behold. That his word would not be a drudgery or one more place of failure for you, where you know you should, but you don't do it, quote, enough. How about we just remove the word enough from our vocabulary, and we just run to Jesus, who promises to be found in these living words. It is a new beginning, and I pray today is a flag in the ground, where Jesus and his word generally become rich and sweet, and as the best foods in the best country and the best city that you could ever be a part of, come today and anticipate and study and receive the love that God has given for us. And we're going to do it here in the book of Romans. Now it's here in the book of Romans where wrath and the justice of God collide with the grace and the righteousness of God to display the love of God through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And oh, that God would help us to see, to see him in a new way. So here's where I want to start. I want to start this study in the book of Romans in stillness. I want us to stop. This is how we should approach the word of God day by day, is just to stop. And just to ask him, just to ask him to show us himself. And so I just want to guide us through some stillness with Jesus. And so... I want you to stop with me right now, and I want you to enter into just a time of prayer. Because this time in the Word, the preached Word, this moment that we have, so many times we just take it as information to glean, rather than the opportunity to collide with the living God. He's here, whether at home or whether in this place. He is here. He is with us, and we just need Him. So, join me in praying. And I just want you to ask the Lord right now, what stands in the way of surrender? What stands in the way of freedom and joy in Christ? So before we go on, just stop in silence for about 30 seconds and ask the Lord, is there anything that stands as a barrier between you and I that is keeping me back from surrender of freedom and joy. Let's just stop for a second in silence before the Lord. In the same spirit of prayer, whatever the Lord has brought to your mind, just simply say with childlike faith, Father, I want this to be yours. I want this area of fear or this area of infatuation or this barrier, I want this to be yours.
and pray the prayer of indifference. Father, make me indifferent to my will and make me whole, wholly into, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever has come to mind, say, Father, I want this to be yours. Let's spend this time in prayer. So, Father, make us humble and wholly yours. Speak to us in these moments. Make us convinced of your love for us by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's dive in, shall we? Let's read the introduction to the book of Romans as we begin this series entitled, For the Love of of God. Romans 1, 1 to 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just ask for the Lord's mercy. Father, please take your word, this word, and teach us, but not just our minds, but our hearts. Fill us with love for you and for one another and for our neighbor. For the sake of your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The book of Romans is one of the most extensive and in-depth treatments of humanity's sin, God's righteous wrath, his otherworldly love for us in Christ, our justification or being declared not guilty by faith alone, just like Abraham, Father Abraham in the Old Testament. It's a story of the power of God to empower us to walk by the Spirit. It fills us with the hope of future glory and the promise of His present love that no suffering will separate us from that love. And it also helps us dive into the unfathomable riches of his sovereignty and salvation and his guaranteed future for his people. All resulting in a people who rejoice in a future hope, but who can also live in joy now, together, unified, amidst differences because of their common bond in the blood of Jesus their common hope in the glory of Jesus, the common message of the gospel of Jesus, and their common sense of mission in obeying Jesus so that all peoples might love Jesus through gospel proclamation and church planting. This is the book of Romans. This is where we are. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans having never visited him there himself. Paul had never gone there and yet longs to travel there soon, as Acts 19, verses 21 will tell us, and as our sermon next week in verses 8 through 12 will tell us, 8 through 15, that is. But by the end of this letter, you see him naming personally 
26 people that he had relationships with in order to show that although he had never been there, he has a personal connection with this church. Now, this letter was written in A.D. 57, A.D. 57, and he was writing from the Greek city of Corinth. And it was at this time that Nero, age 16, was emperor of Rome. He was made emperor of Rome three years earlier. Now, as one commentator noted, the political situation, quote, had not yet deteriorated for Roman Christians, as Nero would not begin his persecution of them until he made them scapegoats for the great Roman fire in AD 64, which many believe Nero set himself um, because he wanted to rearrange the city in his image. But Paul knew that even in this time of relative peace, the church needed a solid, robust view of God and his gospel. They needed deep pillars that go deep into God and his love that would build their lives up so that they had strong faith. Deep pillars into the love of God so that they would be built up. Ironically, this is not a really seasoned church. This is a young church. Many times when Romans is brought forth, it's for the mature. It's for those who've been in the Bible for a long time. This was written for new believers in the Roman church that the pillars of their faith would go down deep into God's love so that they would stand as a tall, mighty fortress for the Lord no matter what came their way. Second tallest building in the world is called the Shanghai Tower in China. Stands at a whopping 2,072 feet. It's 128 stories tall. And although it's almost 700 feet shorter than Burj Khalifa in Dubai, it has a foundation that goes deeper than any other building in the world. Bored down into the ground are 980 foundation piles that go down. They're three feet in diameter and they rest on a 20-foot thick concrete pad. You might ask, how deep do these 980 concrete pillars, three feet in diameter, that rest on a 20-foot pad, how deep do they go? They are 282 feet below the ground. Over 20 stories, they go down into the ground in order to hold up a 2,000-foot tall building 20 stories we have most of our buildings are not that tall in downtown Raleigh 20 stories deep why in order for the tower to stand tall the taller it is the greater the wind shear the greater the difficulty of it standing upright and Paul understands this spiritually he knew that this young church, not simply seasoned Christians, but this young church, they must go deep down into the ground, anchored into the foundation of God's love for them so that they can withstand suffering in the present world and find rest and security amidst the storms of life. Paul knew this church had to wrestle with God, had to be pressed and formed in order that they might grasp the glory of his love. When you and I are being drilled down into the knowledge of God and we hit the clay soil of suffering or lack of understanding, God stays strong and he holds us secure. It does no good to drive these piles down if the ground moves around. The ground has to be solid and firm to hold these things together. We have to rest that even as we go down and we hit the sufferings of life, he holds us secure. When we hit the rock of dissension and criticism or self-condemnation, 
We keep driving down into the love of God, his forgiveness of us, how he washes us clean, his righteousness that characterizes us even when we are unrighteous and we rest secure. No matter what we encounter, what keeps God's people from standing upright in the faith is not our grasp of God, but it's our grasp of God's grasp of us. It's not our ability to hold on tight to him, it's our confidence that he will hold on tight to us. This is what Romans does. It keeps us driving deeper and deeper into the unfathomable riches of the love of God. And this is why these words are so precious in Romans chapter 1. Just go to the last verse that I read. Romans chapter 1 verse 7 when you read these words to all those in Rome. And Paul knew this would be a letter that not only is going to those in Rome because it says, including you who are called to belong to Jesus, that is all followers of Jesus, this is for you. What's the title? Who are loved by God. Say it with me. Loved by God and called, declared to be his saints, that is set apart for him. Loved by God. What is this phrase? This phrase, set apart, is this sense of set apart from the world for the world. It is, you have been made so new, so transformed that you're meant to shine out as utterly different. And what makes you new and different is that the love of God is on you. It's like this irremovable tattoo on your soul that this is yours. And this is who you are. It's not the kind of love that is conditioned on you being good enough or walking in perfection. He is not frustrated at you with arms crossed because you don't get your act together. And all of you, including myself, we don't get our act together, do we? But sometimes we just have this view of God. Frustrated. Scowling. And this is not our God. Paul knows it. Loved. Loved. It's a love that fights for you. It's a love that is always for you. It's a love, according to Romans 8, that works every single thing in your life, from the hardest moments to the greatest joys in your life, for your good and for his glory, Romans 8, 28. Nothing in your life is throwaway because you're loved. Because he is love. It's not just something he has, it's who he is. It's not a feeling, it's a choice. Make no mistake, love is not just a feeling that can erode away because of your and I's missteps. It is a choice that he has set upon us before the foundation of the world. I love you and I will not let you go. Romans tells us these things. His love has chosen you and has called you like he called his dead friend Lazarus out of the tomb. And when he spoke, his friend came alive. This is the love of God for us. It's a love that changes our hearts. It's a love that granted you faith and repentance. It's a love that's forgiven you and has reconciled you to the greatest need in all of the universe. It has brought you into fellowship with God himself. It's a love that has purchased peace for you. He is fully trustworthy, so you need not fear anything but Him because He is love. He has adopted you, and His love is affection. It's fight. It's gritty. It's sacrifice. He died for you. He is raised from the dead, all because of His love for His name and His love for you. You are loved by God. This is what it means. Don't allow the devil or anything else, the self-voices of condemnation or any other voice outside of you to pervert that love. It's the love of God for you. And this is why he says, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and 39. So who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Should trouble or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. 
And you could add a ton of other things where you have been tempted to say, God does not love me. He is not with me. He has abandoned me. But Paul is saying, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. What does that mean? Our suffering comes because we are in a broken world, not because we have a broken God. No, he says. God is not broken and his love has not left you. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I am confident, there's nothing that's going to shake this building away from this truth that neither life nor death, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation Throw up an objection and it will be crushed down. Nothing, he says, will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is his love for you. How? How? How do you and I get called loved by God? I want that. Because if God is for us, Romans chapter 8, who can be against us? If he who did not spare his own son, but gave him over for us all, how will he not graciously do the easiest thing, that is give us all things in Christ? I want Jesus. How do I get his love? How does this gospel apply to us? Because if you have any honest self-awareness at all, you realize this seems too good to be true. For you and I who are sinful. Rebellious. And all of us have sinned. And we don't resemble God's glory. We don't. The wages of sin is death. For all have sinned. Romans 3.23. And fallen short of the glory of God. Romans makes sure. When you read through this book. As the pillars are driven down into the ground, we are really clear how impossible this feat is because our sin is so deep and the gap between us and God is so wide, it just seems impossible. (laughs) There's no way. There's no way he can build something up out of something like this. And honestly, if you think anything other than that, you are deceived. You don't know who we are apart from Jesus. Lost in our sin, dead in our trespasses and sins. To get a small glimpse of this, let's listen to another quote from Charles Spurgeon. As I'm reading through his autobiography, you'll probably hear a lot more of him in days to come. Speaking to those who might be tempted might be tempted to compare themselves to others. This is not the quote yet. Tempted to compare themselves to others and therefore stand on the ground of their own goodness. I'm not as bad as they are. I'm not as bad as the world is. Anyone attempted to stand on the ground of their own goodness to receive God's love, he sweeps away the notion as silly in the Bible. No way. First three chapters just keep knocking that Prop right out from underneath us. Charles Spurgeon says this. If I had not committed one specific sin, that made no difference because if I had committed another type of sin, I was under the curse. It's not that some sins put you under a curse and others didn't. Just because I didn't commit the one that my neighbor did that looked really bad, I still committed another sin, so I'm under the curse. He says this, He who breaks a chain might say, I didn't break that link or another link, meaning I didn't commit that sin or another sin, so I'm good. He goes on to say, No, but if you break one link, you've broken the chain. He says, Ah, me, how I seem shut up then. I have offended against the justice of God. I was impure and polluted. I used to say, if God does not send me to hell, he ought to. I sat in judgment upon myself and pronounced the sentence that I felt would be just. I could not have gone to heaven with my sin unpardoned. 
even if I'd have had the offer to do so, for I knew it would not be right that I should do so. What is our way out of this? It cannot be our goodness. We will never be good enough. It cannot be our effort. We will never do enough. Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. How do we receive that that gift, that free gift? The answer, believe. It's faith. Believe. Believe that Jesus makes dead things alive. Believe he makes old things new. Believe he restores dying things. Believe he turns running away things back to him. Believe he satisfies the longing of every human soul. Believe his way is the best way. Believe and confess Jesus is God of gods, King of kings. Confess your need for him and receive the free gift of his love. And for some of you who, quote, have done that before, i got news for you. Next week we'll say, this was not a message for just those that have never trusted in Jesus. That right there is a message for every day, for every believer. Believe. Do you believe that he makes dead things alive? Then no matter what you're facing, is not too hard for the Lord. Do you believe he turns things that were running away from him back to himself? Then turn from your sin and run to the one who satisfies you alone. He has invaded my heart. He has called me to love him. It is a miracle, friends. Amazing grace that he would save a wretch like us. And that's what we see in verse 2 of Romans chapter 1 in this intro In verse 1, I mean, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. What I have just shared with you is the gospel of God. Sinners made right with a holy God by faith alone, and it is all a gift of his grace. Now, in Romans If you look at these introductory verses, they parallel how Paul ends the book in the conclusion. And what you begin to see are common components at the beginning and the end, which are meant to kind of serve as bookends to say these themes, these pillars running deep into the ground of God's love are running all throughout the book. It's what introductions do, right? They kind of set the stage for what's to come. And these are the pillars Here's here's a chart I want you to see. You might not be able to see it here. Probably online you can see it a little better. But it just shows the comparison between chapter 1 and chapter 16. The, The pillars, these common themes are these. The gospel, scriptures, Jesus, Paul, and who he is in Christ. Obedience of faith and for the sake of his name, or for the sake of God's glory. These are the pillars that Paul runs deep into the life of the Christian so that they might run deep into the love of God. The first one we've already shared. It is what Paul says here, he has been set apart for. And that's the same type of image that's given in verse 7. Loved by God and set apart ones called to be saints, called to be set apart. That is set apart for the gospel of God. But the next pillar that runs down are the scriptures. The scriptures. Where do I get this? It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. This gospel, verse 2, which he, that is God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. What he is saying is that the good news of Jesus was preached by the Old Testament prophets and the scriptures that Paul was holding in his hand, that is the Old Testament. Now Peter will go on to say that the the writings of Paul are on par, equivalent to the writings of the Old Testament scriptures. They're all scripture. 
But here what's fascinating is Paul is saying the promises of God of a coming Messiah to save sinners, that was told in the scriptures. Just look at the words. He promised beforehand. So just take it. Paul's saying, I've been set apart for the gospel that was promised beforehand and now is here in the flesh, Jesus Christ. The scriptures are true. What Romans is wanting to lay out is that our God promises and what he promises happens. He can be trusted. His word tells us over and over, you can trust God with everything. This is the argument here at the beginning. This gospel, this good news that I've been set apart and now I'm proclaiming all over the Roman Empire, it was told about in the Old Testament. Those scriptures we should have confidence in. We can trust his word because that word tells us we can trust our God. Let me ask you a question. Whether at home or here. Think about the chair you're sitting in. You did not question its integrity before you sat down in it. Now at home I can't verify for that because maybe you got a rickety chair that you like to sit in. So maybe you thought about it. You didn't think about it. You just sat down. Right now, as I've been going for several minutes now, you haven't worried whether that chair was going to buckle underneath you. You just sat. And you rested all of your weight on that chair. Now, some of you might be second-guessing that. You might be a little self-conscious right now. So is he about to tell me that they're all about to break? You know, what's going on? No, the point is this. That's what trust looks like. It's rest. I mean, I know what it's like to sit in my favorite couch, at the favorite spot in my couch, and to lay there and then to pass out. It's, it's rest. It's just, I trust it. Trust God and trust his word. This is what Paul is saying. His scriptures, the pillar of the trustworthiness of the Bible is what we can bank on. Trust means you rest in its truth. It guides your life. You don't pretend your brain is smarter than his word. And whenever your brain is in contradiction with his word, his word wins. You trust it. You trust it. Because you know what? It's not just a good book. It's not just a good novel. This is a living book, and it is here in God's Word where we meet a person, Jesus Christ. A God who deserves all of our trust. This Word is a reflection and a pointer to God's Word, His Son, and that's the next pillar. If a pillar is the Gospel, if a pillar is the Scriptures, the pillar is also His Son, Jesus. Look at how the wording comes at us here in Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And then he says that gospel is proclaimed in the scriptures. Now run to verse 3, concerning his son. The gospel of God concerning his son. The good news is not just that we are forgiven or that we might have a life that's better than this one. It's not simply a new heavens and a new earth so that we aren't suffering as much and we're not crying as much and we're not crying. At, we're with Jesus. That's the good news. The good news is concerning his son. And then he just goes on to tell us who his son is. His son was descended from David according to the flesh. Because in the Old Testament, it prophesied that the Messiah would come through the line of David. Jesus is that Messiah. All of the promises of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Jesus. They're the ones, he's the one that those promises are pointing to. And so he says, that's who he is. He fulfilled that promise, verse 4. And he was declared... To be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by His resurrection. So if you follow it, what gave the declaration? 
the announcement. That's what good news is. It's not good advice, Martin Lloyd-Jones says. It's, it's an announcement of something that's already happened. What's the announcement? The proclamation that the victory's been won. It is when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead by the power of the Spirit of holiness. That was a declaration that Jesus is who he says he is. And Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, it was a declaration of the love of God for us. Right? Isn't that what it says? Even that while we were sinners, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's the love of God for us in the Son of God. That's how you know love. The Son is our greatest need. Jesus is our greatest treasure. The longing of every soul. You don't get good news if you don't get Jesus. Hear me. I don't care how beautiful somebody makes it sound. If you don't get more and more of Jesus, it's not good news. No matter how much of your suffering is taken away, it's not good news. That's why we're passionate about Jesus alone. And all other religions being a lie. And they're not love. They're the opposite of love. Because love is demonstrated in that the Son of God died in our place. You don't get love. You don't get the gospel without the Son. The greatest treasure in the universe is Jesus. And the book of Romans, along with all of the scriptures, will help us gaze for a lifetime at the beauty of Jesus. He is a multifaceted diamond that will never be exhausted. Right when you think you've looked at the entire thing, there's another facet that comes out of nowhere. There's another part of the city that you never thought you would, or you would never see, and there it was, this new vista, this new horizon. Jesus will never be exhausted, and nothing will separate you from his love. Another pillar that runs deep throughout the book of Romans, is who Paul describes himself to be. Servant of Jesus Christ. This is not just Paul's identity, it's our identity. And it runs through the book of Romans. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, why does Paul say that? Look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of this son, of this one declared to be the Son of God. This word servant is literally the word slave. Paul is saying, I was once enslaved to sin, bound up in sin, and God set me free to be bound up in Christ. This is something that is maybe a little kind of revolutionary for some, but you will never be unbound to something. You are always a worshiper. The question is, what are you worshiping? The question is, what are you bound up in? You will either be bound up in sin, or you will be bound up in one who loves you. You will either be whipped by sin as a slave, or you will be loved by a master who died for you. And you are a servant of him. You don't get an option, even when you think you are free. You're bound. And Paul is laying this out to say, I'm a servant of Jesus and I'm called to be an apostle. This is important because he's saying this word is trustworthy. This word that I'm giving you is a trustworthy word. And that's why he goes on in verse 5. He says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. I think he's talking about the apostles. And specifically, he's talking about his apostleship. He's received grace. The gracious gift of apostleship so that you can trust this word. It's on par with the Old Testament scriptures. But listen to Romans chapter 6. Describe this phenomenon. Romans chapter 6 verses 16 to 18. Paul is a servant of Jesus, a slave to Jesus. Listen to how he describes it. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone, as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, 
either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, to the scriptures. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. This is what Paul is saying. I was bound in sin, but now I'm bound to righteousness. I'm bound to Christ. And there's no freer place than to be bound to Christ, bound to righteousness. So, this is why I think Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants or slaves of God. That's freedom. That's real freedom is to say, Father, take me, take me, use me. It's the acknowledgement of an addiction or a substance or a person or a situation. It is, a, it is an enslavement when those things have replaced Jesus. So instead, run to Christ, be set free. Paul says at the end here, He says, we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. We have sermons and sermons to deal with all of these, so I feel no obligation to explain all of these in exhaustive ways. The obedience of faith is simply this. When you trust Jesus, you want to walk in obedience. It's the obedience that faith produces. The people of God Do not ask, how can I get away with this? Oh, wait, he'll forgive me. No, the people of God say, I don't want to sin. And when they do, there is a conviction. There is a gripping of the heart that God is not letting you go. And then you take that guilt to the Lord because you were never meant to shoulder it yourself. And you say, Father, forgive me. And he sets you free. And you walk in a new life. This is the way Paul talks in Galatians chapter 2. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And hear this. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this flesh, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. I live by faith in the Son of God. That means today when you go home, Father, I trust you. You stop in to eat, Father, I trust you. You're providing this for me. You got a decision to make? Father, I trust you. You're having relationship difficulties? Father, I trust you. You're anxious about what's to come in the future? Father, I trust you. The life I now live in the faith because I have been crucified to Christ, I trust him. I trust him. And I trust him so much, the orientation of my life is aimed solely at the glory of God. That's what he says. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. For the sake of his name. Say those words with me. For the sake of his name. This is one of the massive themes running through the book of Romans. That the people of God exist for the glory of God. That is the aim. And the aim towards anything else will leave us not only falling short of the target, but falling short of fulfillment. We can't wonder why we feel unfulfilled at times. It's because we're aiming at the wrong thing. Aim whatever we do at getting a name for God and getting a name for His glory. That's what Psalm 115 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to Your name be the glory because of why? Because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. That's why we've entitled this For the Love of God. His love is so astounding and so jaw-dropping, it reorients our entire lives so that all the nations, all the world will know of the love of God and give Him glory and not us. Our aim, no matter what you do, is so that God can be famous in your life. It just, it totally shifts your thinking. And I get most depressed and most 
down or anxious, I get most afraid when I have removed his glory as my primary aim and placed my glory, my plans, my control, my ambition in the center. You've just got to ask yourself, what does it look like to say, I want his glory above all for the sake of his name? Dear friends, these are the pillars. The pillars that drive us deep down into the love of God. And I just want to say, dear church, I am a dumb sheep. I'm a sinful man in need of a savior. And I have suffered over these 45 years of life and over 20 years of ministry. And I can tell you, my God has never left me. Never. His love is deeper than the deepest river and wider than the widest thing you can think of and taller than the tallest mountain. He has never left me. Why? Not because of my greatness or impressiveness, but because of his. Loved by God, Paul says. Let's let it mean something, church. Let's let it mean something. Let's let it drive us to his word because he will not leave you. He is trustworthy. He cares for you. You can trust him with all of your life. And I promise you, no matter what suffering you're going through, it does not speak to the brokenness of our God, but the brokenness of our world. Our God is not broken. His love for you is constant and sure and steady. And as we dive into Romans 5 and the book of Romans, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were sinners, he died for us. Let's pray. Father, I just ask, I ask that we can say with confidence, I can trust you. I can trust you. You love us. You care for us. There's not been one moment that you have failed your people. Not one moment when you have abandoned us. Father, we are loved by you. And I just pray that you fight for your people. That we believe, not that it rests upon our grasp of you, but that we, it rests, that we can rest in your grasp of us. You hold us tight. You're firm to the end. And you will get us to the end. And you will love us. And so, Father, as we get ready to take the Lord's Supper together, I just pray I pray that this supper would be a declaration that you are love and you are good and you are faithful and that love was proven on Calvary and so Father please help us